Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. The scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and for he was about to pass, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God. Each week, we have a few prayers that are written out for us, uh, and for the few months that are going to follow, uh, we're going to follow a four-week schedule of corporate prayer. In your bulletin, you will find these prayers. They encapsulate one of the four values we at Arise have, love, grow, worship, and go. We ask you in life groups to pray these prayers with one another. Uh, We also ask you to pray with us. We're going to get to the point where hopefully we're praying actually verbally together, uh, because as a confessional kind of professing church, we'll we'll get there. Uh, But until then, until we do that, I'll pray for us. And this week's prayer is the go prayer. So church, as we listen to the sermon, as we are together gathered, pray with me. God, we treasure Jesus' words and we embrace his prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, guide us and encourage us as we go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, open our eyes daily. We believe that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So we pray that our eyes would be obedient to the call to go. Lord, bless our eyes that we could be like the church in Acts 2 that added to their numbers daily. Amen. It's appropriate that that prayer is the beginning of this Advent series. Uh, We took a pause from Jonah, which was Jonah at sea, and then in January we're going to do Jonah on land. We're taking a break to go over Advent, and each week what we're going to do is, we we just titled the series, uh, Jesus at the Table, or Jesus in the Home. What we want to do is we want to go through times in which Jesus came in and dwelled amongst others, dwelled with them. Uh, came into their lives. And in order to do so, we need to understand a few things as we go throughout this very short four-week series. Each week, I want you to ask yourself, and, and as Mike preaches and Seth preaches and I preach this month, we need to ask this question. How is it that Jesus came into our lives? What's the manner that he did so? How did he do so? What's the value he gave as he did so? This week, we cover Zacchaeus. And if you are a church person, maybe you know the, the story. Maybe there was even a song or a rhyme that went with it about him being a wee little man. 
And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I look like a moron. <laughs> but today, we want to unpack. We, we want to see how he interacted, how he came into the lives, and what he did while we were there. Now, uh, I normally talk fast, but today I might talk even faster because we've got a lot to get to. I want you to understand this. From this story, from Zacchaeus, from this account in which Christ came into somebody else's life, I want you to see who the Son of Man is. It's very specific in here. He calls himself the Son of Man. We're going to get to what that means. I want you to know what this Son of Man's salvation is. If you haven't asked yourself that before, I, I need you to ask yourself, what, what do we mean by salvation? What is salvation? And then who gets this salvation? It's very important to understand who Zacchaeus is and who gets this salvation. And then lastly, after we go through all of that, what I need you to understand is this. I want you to understand also that, that as he came in, as we understand who this son of man is and what his salvation is, who gets it, I need you to understand how we receive it. And I need you to ask yourself, if you're outside of faith, if you're not a, a person that is of faith, meaning this, if you don't think that Jesus Christ is king, was real, came to earth, died, and forgives all of my sin, if that does not qualify you, that's, I'm glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. I want you to entertain the idea that as we're at Christmas, what better time to entertain the idea that Christ was true, is true, and forever will be true, and how that radically alters your life forever. And if you're of faith, maybe you think to yourself, you've been of faith your whole life. I just want to quickly bring up baptism in Brenna. We did not say she is now saved. What we said is we welcomed her into the household of God in which we pray that she will become saved. So a question I have for you, if you've grown up in church your whole entire life, but you don't have an actual relationship with Christ, you didn't see, see him and hear from him, I encourage you, do that today. So let's get to it. Who is the son of man? In this account with Zacchaeus, uh, we, we get this very interesting story about this man who needed to see Christ, who desired to see Christ, ran, climbed a tree, looked down. Sounds very odd. Sounds like we're watching a movie like The Sandlot or something of that nature, Sounds very kiddish. That's because it is. We're going to come to find out that actually there are aspects of Zacchaeus' life that we need to understand if we're to understand salvation well. And one of the aspects we need to see is Christ himself says, Zacchaeus, I see you. I need to be with you in your house today because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you leave today with nothing else from my sermon and you remember this now, forever, and always, Hear these words repeated as you go to sleep, as you wake, as you walk, as you work, as you cook dinner. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. Uh, sometimes as you're preparing sermons, you need to unpack things a little bit more and try to get it into digestible pieces for people. Not this week. This week, let Scripture say to you, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. However, we must understand who is this son of man when Jesus gives himself this very interesting title. Now, normally, if you were to introduce yourself, uh, uh, it's Christmas season, now it's Advent, so I can start using Christmas movies. It's acceptable to do so. Uh, good, great. <laughs> I, there's, a, there's rules about this, when you can do so or not. Uh, if you remember the movie The Santa Claus, the, the first one, not second or third, uh, with the weird, creepy, frozen king guy. I'm not going that route. I'm going the first one. In which Scott Calvin is this dad, and his son uh, says to him, 
uh, Dad, who are you? And he says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm your dad. I, I make toys. And he says, Dad, I need you to come into class with me. And I need to introduce you at career day. And he says, okay, I'll do that. And his, he comes into class and his son gets up and he says, why don't you introduce your dad? And he says, my dad is Santa Claus. And Scott Callan says, no, easy. I'm like Santa Claus. I, I'm, I'm not Santa Claus. That's, that's an audacious, high, bold claim. Let's downplay that. Like, son, shh, quiet. When Jesus Christ comes in, he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He is declaring in front of everyone, this is a big deal. He's not trying to downplay it. He's not quieting or quashing. He's saying definitively now in front of everybody, publicly and without hesitation, I am the one who sits over judgment. Okay. Let's talk about what that means. Where does this term son of man come from? There's a place in Daniel. Uh, Daniel's an incredible book for the church. It chronicles the way in which we as humans try to follow world powers, really, really influential, important people, time after time after time, and how every single one of those world powers, time after time after time, fall and crumble. Now, quick history lesson. Book of Daniel goes through all the world powers. It talks about how everyone will fall, News flash. If this is news to you, I apologize to be the one breaking this to you. America will fall. I don't know when. I don't know how. America is not part of the Bible anywhere. And the eternal kingdom to come does not have red, white, and blue. I know. Groundbreaking. I understand. How do I know this? Rome fell. Persia fell. The United Kingdom is not what it was. Greece fell. As scripture goes throughout, as Daniel goes throughout, there's this, there's this image, and Daniel was this person that came into the, the service of a king, and he was able to make mysterious things very clear. And one of the things he made very clear was this understanding that all the world power will never, ever give you what you need. They're not, they're not bad. They're just not the best. They're not the thing that will save you, ever. Use them, serve them, have them serve you. We have that in scripture. But Daniel tells us, don't you dare put your salvation in them. And in this image, he, he, Daniel makes this image of this, this statue with all different types of material. There's some clay, there's some stone. And then there's this big rock that comes crashing down and, and crushes the whole statue. And Daniel says, that is all the world's powers, layer by layer. And there's going to come one a giant, great big rock that's going to crush it all. And there's this person presiding over this vision and this mysterious thing. And then all of a sudden, there's this figure who comes in sweeping on the clouds. And it says, one like the Son of Man came in. And here's what it says about the Son of Man. Every knee bowed and worshipped him. Jesus says, I'm that. Okay, so let me, let me just... Let me do the, the equation for you. All world powers will come to an end by a giant rock that will crush it. There's one that's going to come who's better, one presiding over the whole thing. And then there's one who's going to come from above down to earth and will be the one everybody worships and will rule and preside over judgment, over the end of times, over the salvation of everybody. And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. I don't think we understand as the church how scandalous Advent is. Do you? 
Do you understand how absolutely bananas it is that a Jesus, Jesus Christ, the king of all eternity, presiding over every single thing ever, powerful as beyond imaginable, came in the form of a child to us? It's bananas. And he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. What he is saying is this. He says, I am he who rules, who grants salvation. I am he who cannot be tamed. Nothing is over me. I am above all things. What Jesus is saying is this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He who is above all, in all, through all, is not here to condemn and kill you. I am here to save you that was lost. I think Advent should scare us a bit, should it not? I think if you were to understand exactly who Jesus was and who God is and how he came to us, you would not treat him like he is a neutral, mundane thing. That he's something you slap on your car or wear around your neck or simply easily say, yes, I'm with Jesus. I think if we understood Advent, we'd be scared to death. Because this man has the power to rule over everything. He is ruling. He's the son of man. He is high and lifted up. That's the first thing. And the, the question you must ask yourself after this, who is the son of man? You must ask yourself this, what kind of king, what kind of God is he? Right? Have you ever asked yourself that? Okay, if Jesus' claim that he is the son of man is true and he is high and exalted, I must ask myself, or like all superhero movies, once you find out there's a superhero, you say to yourself, can we trust you? How are you going to treat me? Because I can't control you. I can't fight you. I can't kill you. Are you benevolent? Have you asked yourself that about God? Or... Have you just assumed it? Because assuming that Jesus Christ is this nice, tameable, easily controllable thing misses the entire point of Advent. What kind of God is he? So let's go to that. What is his salvation? His salvation is, again, to seek and save the lost. Uh, I have a rule in life. It's a pretty simple rule. I encourage you to follow this rule. And it's true throughout time. I, I, I stole this rule from somebody else. If you let somebody talk long enough, they'll tell you everything you need to know about them. If you let somebody talk long enough, oh, they'll spill their guts. If I sit down with you for more than an hour and I just sit there silently staring at you, guess what you'll do? You will spill your guts. <laughs> if you want to know what somebody is feeling, what they're thinking, you go to the source. You go to the horse's mouth. You hear from them. You don't hear from other people. We all have an innate desire uh, in creation, in who we are, to say things of who we are. We need to hear from the horse's mouth. Maybe you're here today, and the idea of Christmas and Advent and this God who is above all and in all and powerful and I can't control you, say, ah, no thanks. I pass on that. I, I determine what's right here. I'll make rules. Don't, don't give me a rule to follow, Clint. 
right? It's very, it's very modern Western of us to say, I am, I am my own God. I control, I'm the king of my castle. And what Christ says is this, he says, no, you're not that, I'm above all. And secondly, what I'm encouraging you to do now is to then come interact with this person and say, instead of hearing about him secondhand, you need to hear firsthand from him. How many of us grew up in church and it was kind of a rocky experience? How many of us interacted with people of faith and it's been so-so? How many times have we seen the person use the church's checkbook as their own personal savings account and bought in things that are ludicrous and expensive and silly? How many times have we said, I can't believe in this Jesus because look at his church, look at his people, look how rotten they are. To which I say, amen. We're all rotten. I'm rotten, you're rotten. It's like that children's book about going potty. You do it, I do it. We all do it. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Right? I think one of the things we need to understand is Jesus says, what type of salvation, if I really want to know who this God is, who is above all and in all and does not conform to our ways, but rather we conform to him that is throughout time and will come to judge and he seeks and saves the lost, what we need to understand is what kind of salvation is this that he gives? I need to hear it from here. I can't hear it from somebody else. Look at what Zacchaeus did. He said there was a crowd following him. He had heard of Jesus before, and we're going to get to a moment in a moment how he heard of him. He had heard of Jesus, there was a crowd following him, and what did he do? Did he pull somebody off to the side and say, hey, uh, could you tell me about this Jesus guy? No. What did he do? He ran ahead, climbed a tree, and said, I need to see this guy. Church, today are you somebody who's seen Jesus Christ secondhand and therefore have a distorted view of who he is? You've seen Jesus, but you've seen it through sinful eyes like an image through a Coke bottle glass or in a funky mirror house. You have a general idea, but because somebody else is telling you the story, even now in this sermon, I pray this is declarative, but let me tell you this, what is better than hearing my words of it is for you to go to Luke 19 and read it for yourselves. Why? Oh, church, we need each other. We have to commit to each other and covenant and tell each other stories of Christ, but there is nothing better in the entire world than to hear of your father speak of you directly. Nothing better. So when he says, I came to seek and save the lost and I'm above judgment, what he is saying is this, my, my salvation, when I say I'm above all and I can't be controlled, that sounds scary, but I'm not. When I said I come to judge, you, you, you kind of tense up and you say, oh no, I'm gonna mess up on this. Oh no, I can't be good. And Christ says, I am judge." But my reign of kingdom, how I rule, it's not a question of if I rule, it's a question of how I rule. What's my salvation is this, seeking and saving, seeking and saving, seeking and saving. Uh, We have a congregation member in the church who if you were to look at him as he's walking on the sidewalk, you would think this, I thought this. I was like, don't mess with that dude. Just, I'll let him go first. (laughs) I'll open the door for him. And then we were at a, a get-together, and my daughter, I was outside of you and my daughter, and so was my wife. And my little daughter, two-year-old, was walking around, and she's crying, losing her mind, because she can't find us. 
And this guy that you wouldn't want to mess with in the entire world looks down at this crying girl, and she runs straight to him. He picks her up, he holds her, brings her in close, speaks softly to her, brings her back. And, and she actually didn't want to even come to us when, when she showed up. She's like, no, I'm good, Dad. You're... When Jesus Christ says, I am he who is above all, it sounds intimidating. And actually what he says is, don't run away. I can't be beat, but that's a good thing. You know why? I'm on your side. Do you get that, church? Do you not think, well, Jesus, well, clearly it's my team. No, it's his team, and I'm so glad you're on it. It's his kingdom. It's his rule and reign, but he does not reign with an iron fist. He reigns with open palms pierced on the cross. Zacchaeus heard from him firsthand. He says, I need to hear from this man, not from anybody else. Maybe you have objections of the church. Maybe you have objections of Jesus. Maybe you have objections of his salvation. They're all fair and warranted, actually. Two-second side note. The church has had many atrocities which we need to ask for forgiveness on. Correct? Yes. Does that mean that the one who started our church is to be blamed for all things? No. We should repent for things and actually Seek forgiveness in those things gently and humbly. But that does not negate the power, the truth, and the grace of the one who initiated salvation. If you have objections to the church, hear from Jesus himself, just like Zacchaeus did. Running up a tree just to get eyes on him, just to behold him. Do you do the same? Do you run to him or do you simply take the word of somebody else? Because I'm here to tell you, hearsay as it pertains to Jesus is a dangerous game. Or heresy. See what I did there? Hearsay of Jesus is heresy. Hear from him, not of yourself, not of other people alone. Yes, let's covenant together. We don't have all the answers, but you know what we can do together? We can lock arm in arm and find the one who does have the answers. Don't have hearsay and therefore heresy. Be Zacchaeus, climb a tree, get eyes on Jesus yourself. Next, who gets salvation? Simply put, this is, oh gosh, church, you need to hear this and you need to hear it today. Who gets salvation? Outsiders. 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 What does Jesus say? Did he say, I came for the healthy to make them better people? I came for the really moral and religious people so that they would follow me, give me money, and I could build an empire. Nope. I, I came for the really skilled, the really knowledgeable, the, the intelligista, the academic. Nope. Who did he come for? The outsider. The one who is far from grace. And I'll tell you why that's great news. You were once an outsider or still are an outsider. Nothing you did was great and glorious on its own. It only was made great and glorious by the act of Jesus Christ. Let me show you. Two examples. One, the author, Luke, or three examples, really. Author, Luke, the blind beggar, and Zacchaeus himself. First, the author of Luke. We're reading Luke's account here. And in Luke, the Lucan account of Christ, his whole entire ministry, he goes throughout. And what Luke cares most about in his retelling of Jesus' story, as with Matthew and Mark, we get this clear picture of the totality of Jesus' ministry, Luke cares mainly about one of two people, 
the poor and the marginalized, the outsider. And you say to yourself, the poor, well, I'm, I'm not poor, so Luke's not talking to me. Hold the phone for a second. Well, I'm not marginalized. I'm, I fit right in. I, uh, gosh, church, you got to help me. I, I knew it at one time and I've forgotten it. What's the, the phrasing, the tulip that's too high and gets cut off? Tall poppy. Somebody else actually said it to me in, it wasn't just the tall poppy syndrome. Anyway, flowers are all about, and there's one that's higher than the other gets chopped off because it's not like the others. We care about uniformity here. And you say, well, no, I'm, I'm not marginalized. I fit right in with everybody else. Let me actually tell you why that's fundamentally untrue. You were an outsider to the things of God. And there's Luke as an example. Let me tell you who Luke was. A doctor and a really, really well-written author. If you understand Luke, he was a professional who followed around ministry professionals and actually was probably a personal doctor to Paul, more than likely. His writing in this account is beautiful. Oh my gosh, is his writing ornate and constructive so well? You could put this on every single thing you study and just go through and it's like a masterpiece. Luke was somebody who was great. And he says, I was a sinner outside of faith, and I found this Jesus guy. He was mainstreamed. He was, he was right in the middle of that poppy field. He wasn't anywhere above or below. He fit right in. And Luke himself says, I have to tell this Jesus guy because I've been radicalized. My world has been turned upside down by him. Secondly, the blind beggar. Before this account of Zacchaeus, which I, I, I chose because I think we would, we would understand Zacchaeus' lot in life a little bit more than a blind beggar. There's a man who is sitting at Jericho walls coming in and he was blind and he was a beggar. He was homeless, had no family, had, was in poverty and he's crying out. And he cries out, Jesus, save me, heal me. And Jesus heals him, a blind beggar, on the streets, alone, homeless, without a penny. Now, a lot of us can't experience, can't, can't relate to that. Maybe you can, and if you can, I'm not downplaying your experience. What I'm saying is that for most of us, to say to ourselves, or maybe you've said this, let me try to put it in different terms. You've said to yourself, I don't have a testimony like those other people. I wasn't addicted to drugs. I wasn't in prison. I'm not a felon. I, I haven't been at my lowest of lows. I don't have those testimonies. My testimony is I grew up in a loving home in the suburbs, had 2.5 kids in my house. I, I, it's not compelling. Actually, it is. How do I know? Look at the juxtaposition. Blind beggar, homeless, penniless, physically in need, spiritually in need. And right after that story comes the story of Zacchaeus and the same exact outcome is given to the blind beggar as it is to this Zacchaeus. One who's on one social strata spectrum and the other who's on, who, who is on the other. Zacchaeus is called a chief tax collector. You know what that means? Really, really, really rich. Status, title, acclaim, position, security, 401k, stock options, private jet, they didn't have jets back then, just so you all are clear. <laughs> I was modernizing that for us. And Zacchaeus runs up, climbs a tree, and says to him, looks at him and says, I need to know you. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What he's doing is saying this, the blind beggar and Zacchaeus have the same exact need. The rich, the poor, same need. The entitled, the non-titled have the same need. Those with friends, those without. Those with family, those without. Those who have children, who've been trying for children but can't. They all have the same exact need. You know what that need is? 
Salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the only need they had. When I say Luke, when I say who gets salvation in Luke and all throughout scriptures, it's the outsiders. What am I saying? I'm saying you. I'm saying me. I'm saying that we can look at people's social status in life and say, well, I'm better off than them. Just like we talked last week, we could be the Pharisee who says, hey, at least I'm not like those tax collectors outside the court. I thank you, God, that I am, I am robust, I am rich, I am healthy and whole, and I'm not like, you know, those guys over there. And Jesus says, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Because if you don't see your spiritual need for salvation, you are missing the point. You don't have a clear picture of me, and you certainly don't have a clear picture of yourself. Because if you think you are good, what will happen on the last day is Jesus will say this. Go ahead and make your case. I'll stand back and listen. Why are you so great? I've used this example before. If aliens from another planet came to Earth, and they said, hey, Earthlings, we're going to give you guys a chance. We're not going to destroy you. You're going to send one person the penultimate human. And you're going to, that person's going to represent all of you. And if that person we deem worthy, we won't kill you. Are you being sent? Probably not. I'm not. Or let me put it like this. What do you have to brag about? I was watching this comedy special on Netflix, and uh, the comedian is now a father, and he's a father for the first time. He didn't want to be a father because he understands that all of humanity is bad. He's not a Christian, he's not a faith, but he understands, I don't want to have a human because I don't want to make another one of me. Because you, do you know me? I'm not that great. And in the, in the comedy special, he says, he goes on to list some of the accomplishments of his life and some of the nefarious things that he did and at the end, he says all of those things that are bad, he, he has horrible moral failings all throughout. He practices and is involved with things that you and I would not want to practice in. He's loose with his morals, with his body, with his physical intimacy, and he chronicles them in detail. And then he says, and I'm one of the decent ones. He's actually dead on. He's one of the decent ones. And it's still gross. Who gets salvation? Outsiders. The blind beggar. Zacchaeus. Not the crowd. Do you notice that? Did Jesus say to the crowd, hey crowd, thanks for following me. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for coming all this way and listening to my teaching. Today salvation has come to your house. Does it say that? No. Who did Jesus specify, picked out of a tree and said, today salvation comes to your home because you saw me, because I see a man whose life has been transformed by the gospel? How do I know it's for outsiders? Because one out of a crowd was picked out and said, salvation comes to you. Or as scripture indicates, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons, I healed people in your name, and he will say away from me, I never knew you. If you count yourself as one of the insiders, if you count yourself as somebody who is privileged, who should be counted salvation, who deserves grace, you're not. And you don't have it. Because if you think you're good, Jesus says, fine. You think you're great. I, you have no need for me. 
Or we put it like this, your friend comes to you and, they, and your friend says, you, you ask your friend, hey, how can I serve you? How can I love you? And they say, I don't need anything from you. I'm good. Are you really friends with that person? If they say, I don't need anything from you, and then they turn it, they say, but you need things from me. Are you actually friends with that person? Or are you a pity project? Don't count yourself as one of the elites because you're not. Christ says outsiders are given grace. So shouldn't you want to be an outsider? Shouldn't you want, if a judge, if you come up from criminal court and the judge says, if you confess, I will waive away your sentence. And you say, no, I want to fight for my innocence. You're silly. Confess your sin, take the forgiveness and the pardon and move on with life. But how often do we want to clench our fists and say, no, I need to prove how good I am. Oh, church. Zacchaeus was a man who had everything, wealth, prosperity, health, climbed a tree to get grace because he knew his need was so deep, acted a fool like a child, chief tax collector. That's not a little thing. That's a high status. And he climbed a tree to see Jesus when the crowd would not. Lastly, and we're going to get through this as quick as I possibly can, how does salvation come? So if I've shown you that Jesus is for outsiders, he came to seek and save the lost, you are part of the outsiders, and he is not a king that wants to judge us, but rather a king who wants to graciously give us, then the question you must ask yourself is, how does salvation come? How does it say I came to seek and save the lost? Three, interaction, insight, indwelling. Interaction. He climbed a tree. Jesus says, come down, I must be in your house. He saw him firsthand. There was interaction with him and Jesus. Church, if you're interacting with Jesus' family but not Jesus himself, you're missing the boat. If you're interacting with his gifts and his blessings, if you think you see a beautiful sunset and you've seen Jesus, no, you haven't. You've seen the outcomes of Jesus, not Jesus himself. There's a huge difference. If you feel the warm embrace of a child and you say, oh my gosh, I've seen Jesus, you haven't. You've seen the outcomes of his grace. You need to interact with him yourself, his word, his spirit, just as Zacchaeus climbed the tree. You need insight. You need to hear from him alone, not other people. J.K. Rawlings uh, wrote famously, a whole series of, of witching books, and I'm not here to fight that, parents. I'm not here to fight if a book is good or not. I'm here to talk about her faith, and yes, she is a faith. She's part of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. She wrote these books. If you finish the books, you understand where the outcome comes from. And in the book, she was told that she was gonna be an utter failure. She was, she was a single mom. She didn't have a job, and she was so depressed and down. And you know what she did? She said, all these people were naysaying her, saying, oh, you're washed up. Oh, your, your writing's not that good. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's awful. And she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to believe any of that. I'm going to tune out the noise. I'm going to go with what I know. I'm going to write this book. And she sat down and she wrote this incredible series called Harry Potter. Acclaimed all over the place. You know what she did that we need to do as Christians? That you need to do if you're investigating Christ? If you like Zacchaeus. Now look, we're a reformed church. So I might say something that's going to get some of you riled up. Zacchaeus is intrigued. He's what some may call seeking. 
I know, Jesus alone authors salvation and calls people. I'm there, I get you. Theologically, I'm in line. But I cannot refute the fact that Zacchaeus himself is intrigued by Jesus, says, I must see him, I must know him, I must come to understand this man. If you're here today and you haven't done so, because of fear of what other people are saying, because you say, well, you know, I heard, I read this author, or I listened to this podcast, or you know the news is saying this about Christians. You know what you need to do? Just like J.K. Rawlings? Tune it out. I'm not saying blindly trust this stupid cult. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, if you're intrigued by this Jesus guy, instead of hearing from other people, why don't you hear from him and tune out the rest? Why don't you test him on what he says, not what other people seem to think about him? Just like Zacchaeus did. And then lastly, there's indwelling. And here's where I want to hit home today. Did Zacchaeus get in the tree, come down, hear from Christ, and move on? No, that's not where the story ends. You know where it ends? In his home. Jesus looks at him and says, I must be with you in your house today. Let's go. Church, this is... I pray this last statement hits home with you because I'm out of time. Christianity doesn't just change where you sit on Sunday mornings. It's where you stand in life. Christianity does not change where you sit on Sunday mornings. It changes where you stand in life. How do I know? Zacchaeus gave 400% and 50%. His estate and his income He halved his estate and gave it away. Then he said, if I have any debt, I'm going to pay it back more than what's legally required. What does that mean? It means that there's this man changed by the heart of grace. Not just to do what he has to. I got to go to church. I, I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. I should actually report what my time is. Zacchaeus says, no, 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 it's not my legal precedent, it's my grace precedent. I'm going to give half my estate, not his income, his estate, what he spent his whole entire life accumulating, cars, houses, cabins, stocks. He said, cut it in half and give it away. And then he said, whatever I have income-wise, I'm going to give to those who I'm indebted to more. Or imagine this. Imagine sitting at the house or at the bottom of the hill as you look up on Zacchaeus' house because he was the richest guy in all the city. He's up on the hill. Imagine hearing as he goes throughout the night counting up all he has paid to everyone that has been indebted to him. Imagine seeing the lights flicker on and Zacchaeus having a blast, pumping the music and being excited to give his money away because he's experienced the one who's forgiven him of all of his sins. And it's no longer he who lives, but Christ that lives in him. Church, have you interacted with that Jesus who has the power to save and he came to seek and save the lost, you and me? Let's pray. Father, may our faith not just change where we sit on Sundays, but may it change our lives and where we stand in your grace. May we be people who are about your word. May we be people who are about grace, who were outsiders and now brought into faith. And may nothing, our standing in this world or our our status with positions in job or with countries or with kingdoms or with powers or principalities, may everything be first and foremost aligned to your saving grace. May we respond in such a way as to bring that hope to others. This Advent, may we see you dwelling with us and you calling to us and saying, I must 
dwell with you in your home today. Son's holy and precious name I pray, amen.